We have two readings again this evening. It's the same as part one. And the first one is in the book of Ezekiel, the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. We read this the first time. We'll not just read as much this time for time's sake. Thank you, Philip. Ezekiel chapter 38 and beginning to read at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. The land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. And I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Let's run down to verse 12. Verse 13, rather. This is a second company that come against that first company of nations. We explained it in part one. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, that is unto Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Togarma, and Gomer. They shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, or to take the loot, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to, to take a great spoil, or to enslave through a great spoil. Now we would go over now to Revelation chapter 16, and verse 12, for time's sake, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils. Take note. They are the spirits of devils working miracles or signs showing themselves which go forth unto, note this, the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So we'll stop there, we know the Lord. Well, bless the reading of his own word, but keep your Bibles open, uh, for uh, both those readings we'll be referring to them. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we ask you now to settle our hearts in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the people that have come out 
Lord, people who want to hear more of what is going on in their world. And we thank you for the songs of Zion that have been sung. And we thank you, Lord, for Clover who has sang. And we ask you, Lord, now that you would bless everything that's done so far. But now, Lord, that you would take the platform. And that, Lord, you would take my mouth and have me speak only the things you would have me to speak. And to say only the things you would have me to say. Tell you, Lord Jesus, that we love you and that there's none like you. So glorify your own self tonight, we pray. And in your name, we ask it. Amen. Part one, we took a reading of Ezekiel 38 also, and we mentioned them again tonight. There were two groups of nations, two conglomerate of nations, which will come together To war one against the other. The powder keg as it were. The touch, blue touch paper of World War III. The battle of the great day of God Almighty. The battle of Armageddon. Whatever we can call it tonight. Is the city of Jerusalem. The land of Israel. But then we looked at our first reading of this first group. They go up northward then. And over the ice caps of the North Pole and down into Canada, the land of unwalled villages. Canada, according to the native uh, Canadian Indians there, they call it Kalnata, which means the land of unprotected settlements or the land of unwalled villages. God's word is so precise, it's amazing. And that's the reason we show you Bible prophecy tonight In order that we will be able to show you that God's word is true. That what was said even 2,000 or nearly 3,000 or even 4,000 years ago. It has all come to pass. It is coming to pass. And it will come to pass. The first group of nations we read tonight. And briefly just to bring you into where we are on our world tonight. Is mentioned as Gog, the land of Magog. Then it mentions the chief prince of Meshach and of Tubal. Now we showed you in part one how Gog and the land of Magog is the entire expanse that is northward of the land of Israel or the Holy Land, Palestine, whatever you call it. And it is northward and it is the nation that is the great and large gigantic nation of Russia. Meshach is known as the ancient name for Moscow. And Tubal is the ancient name for the city of Tobolsk. Now, we also then mentioned those that will come with Russia in the initial attack. The Lord said he would put a hook into their jaws. When the house of Israel and later the house of Judah were carried away by the Assyrians and into Babylon, one of their favorite methods of taking them And the slavery was a hook through their jaw. They were able to be controlled, even as a farmer puts a ring through a bull or a bull's nose, as we would call it, able to control. And God says that he would put a hook into the jaw of Gog, Magog or Russia in order to show his plan and purpose, not only for his Israel peoples, but for all those who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. And for the entire world. 
So Gog, Magog is Russia, Moscow, Tobolsk, and they will come to Jerusalem. Persia is Iran and Iraq. We showed you last week, our last first time, that, that Russia is helping Iran and even has helped them to the point now where they are able to develop, remember, the arrow that flieth by day and by night able to destroy 10,000 people plus in one go. So we have Iran will come with Russia and Iraq also will come with Russia. Then it mentions Ethiopia. Now Ethiopia isn't just the Ethiopia that we know today in northern Africa. It is partly that, but it is also Egypt, and we have seen much of Egypt in the, in the news and in your newspapers, all over the, the everywhere you look, it was Egypt, and now it's went to uh, Libya. And all of the north quarters of the, of the continent of Africa are Arabic nations, and they will come with Russia, they will come with Persia or Iran, with many other people against the land of Israel. We're told also that Kush or Libya, put as it's known in the Bible, will come also. That's Morocco and Tunisia and Somalia and all of those nations will come. All as a great company and a great horde. That is the first conglomerate of nations. Then it mentions in verse 6 of Ezekiel 8, the nation of Gomer. Now Gomer has been a little debated, but most, almost every scholar believes that it's Germany. Some believe it is the steppes of Russia, Ukraine or Poland. And they will come then against it also. Here's something to note. Genesis chapter 10 verses 2 and 3. You want to know anything in the Bible? Go back to the beginning. Go back to the book of Genesis and retrace your steps. Here we have the laws of first mention. Which carry right through the Bible pattern. And we're told in Genesis 10, verses 2 and 3, notice the name, Gomer and all his bands. Notice the name again, the house of Tagarma. And after the house of, of Tagarma, we're also told of other names. We're told that the house of Tagarma will be with Ishkenaz, Ripha, and of course, Gomer is the father. Now, Gomer's relatives or descendants, notice the word Ashkenaz. Now, Ashkenaz is a different type of people that people think they are. That sounds a little of a conundrum. But let me say it like this. Ashkenaz will be, will be mentioned a little later, God willing, down the line. Very important you remember that name. And, of course, Tagarma. Now, to find out about Tagarma, it is essential to fit the pieces of this prophetic puzzle together. In Revelation chapter 16, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12 says that the waters of the river Euphrates will be dried up. Many people think that this is a literal drying up of the river Euphrates sometime in the future. May well happen, may well be, but the river Euphrates is almost already dried up on numerous occasions. And it's only a river. What would it need to dry up for to allow great nations and companies to come over when men can destroy the world at a push of a button? When men can build a bridge across a river in the matter of hours, if not days? When a jet, can, a jet plane can fly over in a matter of split seconds? Why then would we need 
the drying up of an actual river. So to identify the drying up of the river Euphrates is very important. The name Tagarma, the the northern part of the house of Tagarma and all of his bands and many people with thee, as Ezekiel says in chapter 38 and verse 6. So who are the house of Tagarma? The Reverend Joseph Wolfe, missionary to the Eastern Jews, in the early years of the 19th century, has recorded in his travels and in his adventures how that on his way through Persia into Bukharah, he arrived at the deserts of, notice the name, Turkestan. And there he tells us, and I quote him, he was among a people who called themselves the descendants of Jephthah. They also called themselves Tagarma. Now, here's something we all, most, we all must take note of. Who was Jephthah? We mentioned it in part one. When the great flood of the Bible came, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham and Jephthah, entered into the ark with their wives. Eight souls were saved, and we're told, and the ark rested where in Turkey, Mount Ararat. Now Jephthah, the Jephthic people, moved up to where Russia would be, across sort of eastward or westward into Russia, and of course right down into the regions of Turkestan more eastward. Also, now some of the, the Arabic nations have a little uh, mix with them, but the Arabic nations actually have Semitic blood in them. And of course then Ham went toward, more toward, if you want, Africa and further down from there. But here we have Japheth and his descendants will come against the Shemitic peoples, not only in Jerusalem and in Palestine, but those around the world, God's Israel. Here we have that there will be another conglomerate of nations that will come against them for this great battle. So Tagarma, let me look at it for a little moment. The Reverend Joseph Wolfe tells us that in the heart of Turkestan, among the Pamir tablelands, which divide the Russian portion from that which is Chinese. Now notice, that which divides Russia from China rises a great mount which is called Tagarma. So please take note, you have Russia, China and Tagarma all mingled and mixed together. Tagarma, by most Bible uh, students say, that it is Turkey and the Turkic or the Turkish-related peoples. You know that Turkey is known as the Turkish Islamic Republic. And its house or its people who have come off off its peoples are none other than the former Soviet republics which were once under Soviet Russian rule. They are Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and possibly even Afghanistan. All of these nations make up part of the land of Magog, that great colossus, only they are more eastward, and Magog goes right from west until the east. They have all one thing in common. 
Each and every one of these countries which we have mentioned, they are all, every one of them, and even to a man, they are all Islamic. And also militant Islam has been on the rise in these nations since the fall of the Soviet Union. Radical Islamic groups such as the Islamic Renaissance Party, the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan, and the Hizbut Tahrir al-Islam, and of course the Muslim Brotherhood, are all working together right now to reunite the Asian nations and ultimately the entire Asian world together. So here we have these people called Tagarma. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12 says this, The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now the way of the kings of the east cannot happen until the river Euphrates, or whatever it symbolizes, happens according to God's word. It must dry up first before the preparation for the way of the kings of the east. But note this in Revelation 16. It says that these are one of the seven vials poured out upon the earth. There are seven vials of judgment in the Bible. That is in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation. And each of these seven vials of judgment are all in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. Here we're on the sixth vial. Someday I'll go through all of the vials, but we haven't time. The sixth vial is poured out upon the earth. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1 tells us this, that these vials are called the vials of the wrath of God. Notice that. Not the wrath of the devil, but these vials are called the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So when these vials are poured out, these vials are poured out into the earth in judgment, showing us that judgment is coming to the earth. And when judgment comes to the earth, there is a warning of judgments, a series of judgments, until Almighty God causes people to turn to him and to get born again of his spirit, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb and to trust in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, to be ready for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have the sixth angel pours out his vial upon the earth. These vials are mentioned to, to show us epic proportions of wrath upon this earth. So let's look at the drying up of the river Euphrates. You see, here's the thing. The river Euphrates was already dried up in Daniel chapter 5. We're talking about 700 BC. 750 BC maybe. Belshazzar was the king in Babylon. The great river Euphrates itself flowed through the, the, the city and it had great towering walls which were impregnable and unconquerable. But you see, God said that they had so many idols and they were so godless 
and atheistic against the one true living God. In other words, they did not believe in him that God said he would judge them. And he gave them a warning. He told them when it would happen. For he says through the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 50 and verse 38, he says, A drought is upon her waters. Speaking of the river Euphrates. A drought is upon her waters. And they shall be dried up. For it is for a, it is a land of graven images. And they are mad upon their idols. You know what happened? The armies of the Medes and the Persians gathered around the great walls. And the armies of the Medes and the Persians could not conquer. They laid siege to Babylon until Belshazzar took the vessels when he took the house of Judah or when the house of Judah were taken out he took the vessels that were once in the temple of the Lord and they started to have a wine party they started to have a festival they started to drink and live it up as if there was no God and there would be no judgment we're told that on that same night they adhered not to the prophecy that we have read of Jeremiah 50 and verse 38. And while they were partying, judgment was coming. And we're told that up the river Euphrates, Darius, the 62-year-old Median prince, he diverted the river by making a dam. And the soldiers went in along the riverbed and they conquered the city on the same night when God appeared by a man's hand. In other words, they were partying and there appeared a man's hand and writ, had written against the plaster of the wall. Meaning, meaning, tell you farsen. In other words, God has numbered thy kingdom and has finished it. God has weighed thee in the balances and thou art found wanting. And that night, Belshazzar at his feast were told his loins loosed. And we're told his knees smote one another. In other words, at the presence of the Lord, fear came on him, he became incontinent. And that night he lost his life. His kingdom was taken and God had brought judgment upon him. Friend, there's a judgment to come and I pray that you'll listen to God's word and that you'll be saved. I pray that you'll not turn away God's word from your heart and I pray that you'll listen this evening. As you see that God's word comes to pass and that it's true. So the river Euphrates had already been diverted in one sense. So let us look then at a similar prophecy that we have read in Revelation 16 and verse 12. We're told that these rivers must be dried up. Now these rivers symbolize the house of Tagarma. They symbolize the nation of Turkey and the Turkic peoples, the Stan nations and others that they had conquered. You see, if you take it at the time when this was written, there were no great waterways as such that goes for miles through desert lands. So people had to populate within a reasonable distance around a river. They had to drink their water. They had to go and they had to take the water for the washing of their clothes and for bathing of their bodies. They had the big trenches and tunnels out, maybe even a mile or two or three or more. I don't know, but they irrigated the land with the river Euphrates. And so as people stayed around the river, they populated the river. 
And as they populated the river, of course, commerce came round the river. And as commerce came round the river, they found great spoils in the land. And so nations came to divide and conquer. They came to rule and to reign. Such was the Turkic peoples, the house of Tagarma. So this river which dries up is symbolized by the Turkic peoples. Now listen, there was a great empire. I could take into the book of Daniel and show you the, the Babylonian empire prophesied. And then the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and, and the Romans and so on right down to the very day. We haven't time for that. So if you can for once try and study when you go home and you don't have to take my word for it but I'll, I have to jump time. But the Turkish Ottoman Empire, they were an Islamic or Mohammedan Empire. They were a fierce people and they were a cruel people. And if you can imagine the river which went around the fertile crescent where Abraham came, they populated the whole way around. And they conquered the people and they lived right along the river Euphrates on either side, conquering the nations and the peoples the whole way down. So the Ottoman Empire was a, a mighty empire and they ruled the peoples and the land. Turkey was their headquarters. Turkey was their head. So we have to spring forward. This empire was in full strength until 1884. And in 1884, things started to happen in the empire. I haven't time to take you step by step. But the, the nation started to lose ground. And slowly it started to lose peoples. And it started to lose a bit of rule. And it started to dry up. To shrink. And to get smaller. We're told that the Ottoman Empire. By 1914. Still ruled. Now notice this. It still ruled Turkey. Syria. Palestine. Jordan. Iraq. Iran and the Stan countries that we had mentioned earlier. It also ruled the Balkans and other nations along with it. In 1914, World War I started and God took peace from off the earth. And then from 1914, we're told that from 1884 to 1914, there was a drying up. But from 1914 onwards... A greater and quicker drying up of the river Euphrates, the Ottoman Empire, happened. You know, you get a bottle and it's filled with water and you pour it out, it gloops and comes out a bit. But as the air gets in and when it comes to the latter end, it flows out with ferocity and flows out and empties far quicker than usual. Such was the Turkish Ottoman Empire. Such happened to the peoples. They dried up. They lost so much ground. In fact... We're told that the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the earth around 1884 to dry up this great empire. I want to show you something. In 1917, three years into World War I, the Turks lost their, their greatest uh, position in the whole of their empire, save their own headquarters in Turkey. And that was the city of Jerusalem. They ruled the land of, of Israel. They ruled the city of Jerusalem and no one could remove them. They were tried by many generals of the army. And they tried many times 
to remove the Turks, but the Turks could not be removed. They were fierce. They were well dug into their positions. But in 1917, there was a general called Edmund Allenby, a British general with uh, Commonwealth forces and Australian troops. They fought fiercely around Palestine and they came to the city of Jerusalem. And 1917 was an epic time in Bible prophecy. I've spoken of it here a couple of times. I might do it a third to, to just refresh your memories. But it was what's known as the 2520th year of the seven times punishment of the house of Judah. And it ended away in the New Test, Old Testament. It ended in 1917. The Lord Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. These Turkish Gentiles were only another nation that had occupied the city of Jerusalem. Couldn't be removed. Couldn't be budged. But in 1917, General Allenby, a Christian general, and, and Lord Belvoir, also another general who was a Christian, looked up Bible prophecy. And according to Grattan Guinness's book, Like for the Last Days, he mentions that 1917 would be an epic year because of Bible prophecy. So General Allenby takes on the task. And he comes to Jerusalem in 1917. And they bring out the little planes of the Air Flying Corps. You know the little bi-wing planes, the two wings you see? They didn't know what aeroplanes were in those days. They had no idea whatsoever what these things were that were flying. Suddenly, these planes went flying overhead. And as they went flying overhead, the Turks saw them and they dropped leaflets. Not a bomb was dropped, not a, a shot was fired. And the Turks surrendered without a bomb being dropped, without a shot being fired. And so we have the liberation of Jerusalem. That was Bible prophecy being fulfilled. I'm going to read it to you, the little verse that skipped over and bypassed by many Bible prophecy students. Isaiah 31 and verse 5. The Lord said, and the Lord said this concerning Jerusalem, over 700 to 750 years B.C., he says, as birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also he will deliver it. Listen, on passing over he will preserve it. God sent the General Allenby in, a man whose mind was open to the Bible. To Bible prophecy and not a shot was fired. God preserved Jerusalem. The Turks surrendered and they lost the city of Jerusalem and later Palestine. Let me give you a little idea of this drying up. 1917, the Turkish people or the house of Dagarma lost Jerusalem, the Holy Land. In 1917 also, the mandate for Mesopotamia, that's that fertile crescent around Assyria and the Iraq and around there, Iran. In 1917, the mandate for Mesopotamia was allotted to Great Britain. So here now they have, great, they have Mesopotamia. And here also they have the Holy Land. This was Abraham, their father's land. 
This is what is known as the birthright of Joseph. And they attained it in 1917. The same year also saw the signing by Turkey of the Treaty of Severus. They lost all of this land. Turkey's empire in 1914 was an expanse of 613,000 square miles. 20 years later, in 1924, it had reduced to 175,000 square miles. In other words, in 20 years, it had dried up some 438,000 square miles. Now that's some drying up for any nation. The whole dynasty of the Ottoman Empire was ended. The river Euphrates had dried up. And interestingly enough, 1917 also saw the birth of Soviet communism. The Bolshevik Revolution and Soviet communism came into being. God was pouring out a wrath of judgment in order that God's uh, city would be delivered and liberated. And at the same time we had the devil stirring up hearts in Russia. Preparing the way not only for the kings of the east but for Ezekiel 38 Gog and Magog to rise against his land and then his people. It's not not amazing to think it's all happening in 1917, the ending of the two, the, the seven times punishment, 2,520 years punishment of Judah. Listen to this. The Bolshevik Revolution saw a group of Rus Russian socialists seize control of the Russian government. One of them was called Karl Marx. Now here's a surprising thing a lot of people don't mention. Karl Marx was a Jew. And he was a nice Kinesic Jew. Remember we mentioned that name from Jephrathic origin? He came from there, the Tsars and the Ashkenazim Jews. He wasn't even a Semite. Jesus said that there are those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Also, we had a man called Chaim Wiseman. In 1917, Lord Balfour wrote up what was known as the Balfour Declaration, allowing a Jewish homeland. Kang Wiseman was also an Ashkenazi Jew. And he was a communist. People don't tell you that. It was settled around communism. That's why they'll claim it as theirs. There's so many of them are communists. Let me go on. In 1914, between 1914 and 1918... China saw several movements which strongly fostered a path to communism. Mao Zedong led, the, led and introduced Marxism and communist ideology into China and it took hold and China became a communist nation. Now note the river Euphrates, the Turkish Ottoman Empire has now ceased to barely exist. It has dried up now the kings of the east are starting to rise. Revelation 16 and 12. They're preparing the way for the kings of the east. So China, the great communist nation, it was invaded by Japan. And the communists under Mao Zedong prevailed against uh, these opposition leaders also. And they pushed them to the borders and they fled to Taiwan. Part 1, I told you, America wanted to arm Taiwan. Because China claims Taiwan as their own. 
And America says they will arm them. China says you arm them. We will not buy any more of your bonds and your debts. And America are deep in debt. And America says then I will call it a war. A declaration of war if you do that. See how everything is fitting together. The kings of the east are now rising up. And China we only hear of it really. In these such great global times. In the last number of years. But only really started to grow. In the last 90 or so years. So here we have China. The formidable foe. And he is the king of the east. China is quickly becoming the new superpower. He is taking over the United States of America. Economically, they're doing better. Numerically, they're more. Physically, as in military power, they have the biggest army in the world. And of course, their armaments, they are plowing billions upon billions upon billions every year to build up their military forces. The kings of the east are being Prepared. Listen to this. Chinese general. Listen to his words now. Chinese general Sung Tzu. He wrote and is writing the art of war. In antiquity, those that excelled in warfare first made themselves unconquerable in order to await the moment when the enemy could be conquered. And China is friends with everyone. You're going to see where they are in the world until they're strong enough and have bases all around the world until we're weak enough. And then they will strike the kings of the east of come. Let me go on. The Chinese mindset is that preparation for battle is more important than the battle itself. China now holds many of the major sea gates and shipping lanes except for Gibraltar and Cyprus and even uh, the Falkland Islands. They hold the sea gates which were promised to Abraham's seat. It controls the entrance and the exit points known as, listen, the Panama Canal. That is between North America and South America. China controls it. Also she controls the sea gate of Freeport in the Bahamas. Notice where we are. The Bahamas Sea Gate port of China is only 55 miles away from the Florida coast. China rules it. China is not only overtaking the USA as a world economic leader, but it is also taking over America's backyard. Listen to this. In recent years, Beijing has invested billions to develop interest in Latin America. Venezuela under Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez detests the United States. And Venezuela under Hugo Chavez has signed a deal with China and with Russia for arms and defense systems. America is the biggest buyer of Venezuelan oil. And now that they've made a link with Venezuela, or Venezuela has made a link with China, they now want to put the United States out and bring China in in order to strengthen them against America. Now listen, listen on with me. Your attention is marvelous. Thank you. America, America's backyard is also cluttered with men like 
or places like Cuba, Fidel Castro and his henchmen. They have grown steadily closer to China in recent years also. And the Bolivian president, Evo Morales, has pushed out now the United States as its leader of the Bolivian government is now a socialist communist. Venezuela, communist. Cuba, communist. Bolivia, communist. 55 miles off the United States coast. And who are they friends with? China and Russia. So now we see how the kings of the east have been prepared. And it all happened from the drying up of that river Euphrates. The trumpet.com website. The 1st of March 2011. That's just a couple of months ago. Here were the, the headlines on it. It says, China plans to build new oil refinery in Venezuela, producing 200,000 barrels per day. And they have already rented a 5 million barrel storage facility in the Caribbean. China has. They plan to build, listen, a 138 mile long railway across Venezuela, China does, in order to ship out their oil right to their seaports. They're preparing the way for the kings of the east. Let me move from South America and America's backyard and go to the far east. Bilateral trade between China and what is known as the ten-nation bloc of the smaller Asian nations, they have started up an association called the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or the ASEAN, the ASEAN conglomerate. It is increasingly growing and faster than anyone ever expected. The ASEAN nations are Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, the Philippines, Brunei, Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar, and Cambodia. Philippines were pro-American. Now even a lot of the Philippines, there's communists in it. There's a lot of Christians or godly people, but they're communists in it, and they're turning away from America to China. And here is their conglomerate. There's actually another one we haven't time to talk about. It's called the Bloc Countries. And it's including Brazil, the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They're gathering everybody in, getting them, getting them ready. Now listen to this. The 25th of February 2011, it's just a few months ago. It was reported that China blocked a UN report on North Korea concerning their nuclear weapons. China says, no, you're not touching them in the United Nations. China put the block on it. You see, the Koreans were ruled by Japan from 1910 until the end of the Second World War in 1945. And it was, it was divided along what's known as the 38th parallel of the world. So the North went to the Soviet Union, Russia, and the South went to the United States. The North established a communist government, and this drove a wedge between North and South. 
And of course, war came in 25th of June 1950. North Korea had with them, to protect them, China and Russia, the two main players. There were other others, but two main players. South Korea had United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada and New Zealand. All the Commonwealth. Here we have the second group of nations of Ezekiel 38. The ships of Tarsus and all the young lions thereof. All sticking together to come to say, Art thou come to take us spoil? God's word's fantastic, isn't it? God even knows where the peoples are. And he knows the lands that they're living in. And the lands that he has kept for them. So here we have all of these nations who fought in the Korean War. Armistice was signed uh, uh, on the Korean War on the 27th of July, 1953. China have backed communist fanatical North Korea. The first nuclear bomb test of North Korea was in 2006 and the second was in 2009. On 23rd of November, just last year, 2010, North Korea launched, a, launched a, a, a missile strike, a multiple missile strike, on an island of South Korea, killing South Korean soldiers. They retaliated back again. Last year also, a North Korean submarine sank a South Korean warship with a torpedo from their submarine. There was almost a, a war started with that also. And China are backing them. Here we have preparing the way for the kings of the east. The 17th of April, 2011. That's this year again. See how close it is. Russian Defense Minister Anatoly Sergeyev, he gave what was known as an apocalyptic report to the President of Russia, President Medvedev. He was warning that the strategic military agreements signed between China and Pakistan signal that the end game between the East and West over vital energy resources of the Middle East, he said, has now begun. The end has now begun, the Russian general said. In other words, what did they go to Iraq for in the first place? They went for oil. What did they go to Afghanistan for? To protect a, a pipeline, an oil pipeline. What do they go anywhere for? Why not go to Zimbabwe where Mugabe has been slaughtering people for years? Because there's no oil. Warmongers after oil. And here we have the Russian general saying, there's so much oil, China now have invaded right in. And he says, the game between the east and the west is almost over and it's now begun. Serious matters, he says. He says it's apocalyptic. I have to race on. Time's fleeing and I have a bit more to tell you before I close. According to the minister, the most vital aspect of this new strategic agreement is the allowing of Pakistan for the allowing of by Pakistan for Chinese military forces to begin the immediate notice the word the immediate use of the Karakoram Highway, which will allow China's massive ground military forces direct access to the Middle East and then to direct confrontation with the West. That was his words. What's a Karakoram Highway? It is a 1,300 kilometre or an 800 mile long road that China has built from China right into Pakistan. 
in order to move its troops to kings of the east. It's already built. The Wall Street Journal on the 4th of May, this month, 4th of May 2011, headlines on Asia. Listen to this. China defends Pakistan's effort on terrorism. Uh, this is about the, 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 the killing of Osama bin Laden. China and I are starting to move in to defend Pakistan. And you listen to the news bulletins. Pakistan pretending to be a great friend of the West and especially the United States are now turning on the United States and they're turning toward China. Now listen to this, what the Wall Street Journal says. Ties between China and Pakistan run deep. China provides significant military support to Pakistan in what experts describe as an effort to balance India's political and economic rise. China has also now built a $1.16 billion seaport in Pakistan at Gwadar. And you know what they call it? China's Gibraltar. China's Gibraltar. It is situated on the Persian Gulf, just 72 kilometers from the Iranian border. And a recent Pentagon report describes all the nation links as Beijing's string of pearls. In other words, Beijing and China, the kings of the east, are gathering together and getting ready to move. This is going on in your world tonight. This is going on right today. And you know nothing about it, friend, and you're not saved. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 14 tells us, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles or signs, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. We have looked at that over these two weeks. To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. There's going to be a nuclear holocaust. And the only thing that will save mankind... The only thing that will save you, my friend, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. And he will stop planet Earth from becoming a smoking cinder. For the Bible says that the Earth abideth forever. Are you ready? For when Christ appears, he will catch us away. He will change our bodies and fashion them like unto his own glorious body. And we will return and rule and reign with our Lord for a thousand years. And he'll put all of his enemies under his feet. Will you be there? Will you be lost? How will I be there? You must be born again. Let me finish with this reading from Luke 21. Thank you for your attention. I know I've been long, but this has been a big subject. The Lord Jesus says in verse 24 onward, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That was 1917. Verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, listen, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Look at those tsunamis that are happening. See the word distressed? 
distress of nations. So Greek word sunuke, it means anxiety. The nations will be in anxiety. And they will be perplexed. The word perplexed is the word aporia. And it means they will be in a state of quandary. They will be at a loss. There will be no way out. In fact, the French word cul-de-sac is what, mean, what they mean here. We have got ourselves in a cul-de-sac. The world leaders have got us into a cul-de-sac. And there's no way out. We're heading toward the battle of that great day of God Almighty. What many people call the battle of Armageddon. And friends, you're not saved. says, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking for those things that are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Notice it says, there's going to be a great rumbling in the skies and the skies will roll back like a scroll. And listen to what it says, verse 27. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. When you look at him, he's our redemption and our hope. When Christ returns again, he will change this body and fashion it like onto his own glorious body. I had a banging headache all day today. And I couldn't get rid of it. Still a wee shadow of it in the back of my mind here. I couldn't get rid of it. I'll never have another headache again. Friend, you must be saved. The Bible prophecy shows the Bible's true. Look at the way it's all come to pass, written thousands of years ago. And if it come to pass, I guess here's what the Bible says, you must be born again. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you come to Christ tonight? Give your life to him. Talk to somebody. People here you can talk to. You can point you to the Savior. Thank you for listening to me. The Lord bless you. I'm going to do part three next week. I might do nuclear holocaust next week or else I might show you the seven times punishment again. I'll, I'll see where we get next week. But if you want to see, D, see Denise, I'm sure she'll work tirelessly hard as she has been. It'll be on the website. I'm sure David will do his best. And we'll see if we can get downloads of it. The Lord bless you. Will you just come next week then and hear part three?